you are in the Grotto Pod. I am in the Grotto Pod. Bridget is here in the Grotto Pod with me, along with millions of floating bacteria that are I'm coming psyched. from me. I'm in the Grotto Pod, quite under the weather today. Uh, I hope our guest never listens to this podcast. I hope our guest's immunities, immunities, immunities? Maybe. I have no idea. Are high. I do too. Our guest today. I hope today, my immunity is high. <clears throat> well. Though unlikely. You can make the argument that they are, or you can make the argument that they aren't because of your lifestyle, because you work out so much. <laughs> it could be that they're very strong because you don't sleep. I know. I've had no sleep, and I was on a plane. Those two things are like zero. I'm going to guess that plane posed at least as big of a danger to your health as sitting in this very small Oh, for sure. No, worse. Worse, It's me because I've been sick for a week and probably no longer contagious. You sound a little contagious. (laughs) (laughs) Between you and me. I sound contagious. It's It's only my infectious enthusiasm that is contagious. Oh, oh. for what, might I ask? Our guest today, oh. Christina Garcia. Well done. Thank you. We got a big time novelist in our I uh, coming know. to our little tiny studio Let's cough today. On her. <laughs> I've got a cough on. You are by far the, the most famous novelist I have ever coughed on and perhaps shared my illness with. Uh, <clears throat> it's not often that we get someone who has made a dent in the culture the way that novelist Christina Garcia has with her first book, Dreaming in Cuban, which was released in 1992 and was a finalist for the National Book Award. And I'm, I would dare say... Hashtag NBA. Yeah, it's NB Awards. Okay. So Very let's just clarify. Let's clarify. It's confusing like because National Book Awards were just a couple days ago. Right. And the hashtag was hashtag N, capital N, capital B, capital A, awards. Right. So just like NBA awards. So to me, and yeah, and so you and a lot of people mm-hmm. thought they were tuning into basketball, got upset. However, I didn't get upset. man, it's getting so fancy. Is it fancy? National, oh my gosh, there was so much. It was cool. controversial too. I just saw people getting mad, and then people getting mad in response, and everyone. Which was mad. wait about the NBA? So I'm almost mad. I saw oh, some. I didn't see any madness. <clears throat> by the way, I, I'm. I flirted so much with not getting on Twitter last week when I had the migraine, which was worse. Uh, I told you not to. Why don't you I listen did, to like, me? I did. Like, Saturday, I woke up in my hotel room Is in it Pennsylvania. Gone, it's, uh, oh, no. It's just oh, sort of God. lingering. It's taking oh, a backseat to other ailments. Maybe you have meningitis. Thanks, because I'll take that seriously. I am a Jewish man. Um, but I just didn't go on Twitter. I'm like, what's stressing me out? Oh, it's Twitter. Didn't go on Twitter. Felt great. Came back just in time to see... Uh, like I had lost like twenty five guys who had been accused of of sexually harassing women while I was off. I, I could take a day off. Wait, that was part of the. An- I National come back Book and I never no. I came oh, back yeah. in time. Oh, yeah, for yeah, yeah, Book. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. No, the problem Got with National it. Book Awards was I had seen someone. I just caught like the tail end of someone saying. Do you know how it feels to go on Twitter and have a bunch of people saying they wish someone else won this award when you oh, won the award? Oh, no. I didn't <clears> see that. That makes me my heart hurt. It's I don't probably like how Blake Shelton feels right now, too. I know. That would man suck. In the world because Although, everyone is saying on, that he shouldn't have won because he's Blake Shelton, which I don't know anything about. Anyways, Dreaming in Cuba, national, finalist for National Book Award. She's followed up with uh, six So more many books. Oh, novels. Six. The, oh, my the, God. The, the, the Aguero Sisters, 1997, Monkey Hunting. Handbook to Luck, The Lady Matador's Hotel, King of Cuba, and her latest here in Berlin, which was just released in July. Yeah, I think year. this summer. And I kind of want to know about this interesting departure because mm-hmm. about Berlin, it actually is about Berlin. Sometimes books about have. The band Berlin. Right. Sometimes books have a place name in their title that has nothing to do with that, but mm-hmm. it does have to do with Berlin. And she, I mean, her usual, usual milieu is Cuba. 
Latin America. Those themes. She's also written three books for young readers. Uh, the Dog Who Loved the Moon, I Want to Be Your Shoebox, and Dreams of Significant Girls. If you go on her website, though, that's, that's a great title. really just the beginning. I, I mean, know, my she God. is so accomplished. How do you do that? How do you just keep writing novels? I guess there are people who do it. <laughs> and before that, she's going to be another one of our guests who started out as a journalist, Yep, had a lot of success, and then one day just said, eh, I think I want to ask her how she made novels. that decision, and what would it be like to write your first novel and have it be incredibly well-reviewed Pressure. and then win the national or get nominated for a national book award and become i mean i remember d- dreaming in cuban as being a book like the joy luck club like it was mm-hmm, that kind a of cultural impact. moment mm-hmm. and everyone was reading it and you saw it everywhere and what would that be like to go from not having that persona as a writer and then being everywhere or well, having the expectations tri- for your second book oh my, and then yeah that's the other thing and then just keep keep doing it i that love that huge. that's awesome so we're going to get here and here. We're also going to talk a little about about her life as as a Cuban expatriate. She is one of the her family was one of the families that fled early. 1961, they came out. Um, yeah, that's early. We're going to get that whole life story because I'm pretty interested in it. If I don't keel over first, right? What's going to take an hour? I think I can make it. I think if you die, it's okay because you won't block the door. Mm, that's true. Just make sure you know they get someone in here to take yeah. care of me. So uh, she should be showing up right about now. So why don't we go uh, get Christina Garcia? Sit tight because uh, we got a treat for you today. Yep. We are back. Welcome, Christina Garcia, directly from Portland. Portland. Mm-hmm. Fresh and off the plane. Fresh off the plane and dance class. Yes, I went to a fusion dance class in the mission just to kill time between the plane arrival and here. <laughs> I am so um, impressed with that kind of time management. That tells me a lot <laughs> about uh, you. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of default mode. Really. This I explains how you could write to work. six novels. <laughs> <laughs> so I think what. I want to do is not cough, but besides okay, good that, idea. Um, I'm really fascinated not only in your work, but your life, because I feel like there's been a lot of twists and turns. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm also interested in the idea of your life as, you can stop me if I'm wrong in saying this, but as an expatriate, I feel like there's a little bit of an expatriate feel to you, even mm. though you left Cuba when you were two years old. Mm. And why don't we start there? Tell me, because I just find this subject endlessly fascinating. Tell me the circumstances through which your family left and came to the U.S. Yeah, I, I, I didn't have any say in the matter. Right, you were too. <laughs> but, um, but I was definitely a product of a very divided family over the Cuban Revolution. So uh, all of my father's family uh, hauled off and left particularly when they started doing, um, this is how you know I'm living in San Francisco now, I almost said real estate rather than the agrarian reform, when, <laughs> when the real estate went wacko. It's, you know, on, it's, it's all, all we all think about. It's, it's all we all talk about, right? So, it's really true. Um, uh, right after the agrarian reforms, they just figured, okay, let's hightail it out of here. And yeah, my mother's family, except for her, my mother, uh, all were very in favor of the changes in the revolution. In fact, my grandmother was... Um, a Fidelista to the day she died, and and in fact had a had a little a kind of um, fake silver framed, you know, like what you might have for a lover, or mm. you know, on her bedstand, and she was always whispering sweet nothings. And to, what, what, what was in it? To was Fidel, it Fidel, Fidel oh. the picture of Fidel. Oh. Yeah, no, I think it was personal with her. I mean, yeah. I don't think she actually had an affair or anything with him, but. Um, but definitely an affair of the heart. I think mm-hmm. she was just hard, 
in love with him. He it understood was, you had to win the hearts and the minds of the people. Yeah. It was very brilliant that way. He was. He was. And in his early days, so charismatic. Mm-hmm. I, You know, when I, I wrote my sixth novel, King of Cuba, I did this kind of Fidel Castro immersion program and, and saw all that early footage of him. Oh, and yeah. he was like Elvis you know, <laughs> yeah. coming in 1959. Everything but the underwear being thrown at him. I mean, he was he was super, super charismatic. And, <clears throat> and the men to try and get laid, they were all growing beards too, just trying to get... Oh, yeah. Christina, that is still happening. Yeah, it's kind of like now, actually. Yeah? There's oh, so you many... with the, with, yeah. uh, the yeah. lumberjacks? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So many beards. The lumber sexuals. I can never is that help. What that is? Yeah, I'm That's, sorry. Lumber, yeah. lumber, lumber, lumber sexual. sexual. <laughs> Thank you. I'm I not going to point out that you're wearing a plaid year. shirt. <laughs> I could have yeah. one of those beards in like a week. I know you could. <laughs> um, I always think, though, if Fidel Castro had had 10 more miles an hour in his fastball, this never would have happened. You know, that's um, it's so funny because... Yeah, he was a baseball player, but he was really a fanatical basketball player. That's oh, really? I've never loved. heard that. No way. Above everything. Yeah, he would kill on the courts. And um, Oh, my gosh. I, this changes my whole perspective on yeah, him for some no, reason. Baseball, yes, of course. There yeah. isn't a Cuban alive who doesn't follow baseball, but his passion playing and watching was actually basketball. Very few people know that. <clears throat> not, I've never heard that before. You would not want to go on the court with him. Yeah. No one even in your daughter's volleyball team would want to no. go anywhere near him. Yeah. Court. Uh, he's if you could get a time machine though and put him on the court with Obama, who I hear throws some elbows himself. <laughs> okay, I feel like there's a really good kind of science fiction short yeah, story in this. Yeah. Do you think? Fidel Obama and Fidel Obama meet to play one on one. Yeah. Yeah, run with it. Yeah. <laughs> I do science fiction, but I like thinking about it. <laughs> well, she almost had me killed off by what? What was that truck it outside? Was, so, uh, I, Christina was on the other side of the street, and she was crossing the street, and I watched this giant white linens van, but huge, yeah, almost run her over. Oh, and I said, wow, that's the start of a novel. And I said, yeah, except that I wouldn't be able to write it. So you have <laughs> to, you dead. know, it's, uh, yeah, it behooves you now to carry <laughs> the torch. It was very cinematic and terrible, but thank God you're here. Here I'm you here. are. Here I am. Yeah. And so you guys came here and it, it was New York, right? Yeah, we pretty much bypassed. We, I mean, Florida. again, you know, I yeah. was just on a leash at that point. Um, yeah, we bypassed the whole Miami scene and, and just went to New York. Was there family? Yeah, my father had a couple of brothers who preceded him there. And they ended up going back to Miami, but my my parents stayed. Um, and so I grew up in, in uh, you know, I was a bridge and tunnel girl. Oh, okay. Burroughs. <laughs> but yeah, in the boroughs. Until I was in Queens and yeah. then Brooklyn, but then, um, you know, went to high school. Manhattan, oh, yeah, yeah. Commuted in, in a Catholic girl's uniform. Don't even get me started on those stories. Oh, I can I'll have to only sit this imagine. one out. You guys yeah, go please. ahead. Yeah, you yeah. guys. This, this is we the can, climate. Yeah, right. we can we can talk endlessly about Catholic girls' schools if you like. Um, and Larry might like that. I don't know. I, no comment. <laughs> All right. <laughs> kind of podcast. <laughs> but so growing up, then, what was your family's relationship to Cuba? And I'm asking this because it's returned to you as thematically in your books. Although you you've said in interviews that you didn't feel super connected to yeah. growing up, right? No, it's funny. When you started the conversation off with expat, I felt like an expat whenever I wasn't in New York. Yeah. You know, <laughs> Which a lot of New Yorkers do feel like. Right, but now I'm more of a Californian. I've lived here most of my life. Not San Francisco, but L.A. actually. Mm-hmm. And um, and so now I consider myself more Californian than New York. But but yeah, the, ex, the expat thing wasn't about... Uh, leaving Cuba behind because I had no direct memories of Cuba. It was, was, it? was really being more in the wake of my parents. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess if it wasn't Cuba, like I guess to you, Cuba 
is you have the same relationship as my child does with Seattle, Washington, because we mm. moved when he was two. Right. Like, what does he say it's about just, Seattle, right? It's, it's just, an oddity. It's, it's an where, oddity. It's where he was born. Yeah. Like, my daughter was born in New Jersey, and she was sort of, when she was little, she's 25 now, but when she was little, she was thinking that sounded very exotic. I'm like, no, no, no. You, know, you really don't <laughs> want to stress the New Jersey birth, okay? But at some point, something triggered an interest uh, or... I don't want to say a nostalgia because that probably isn't fair, but an, an interest in, in, in delving into that and what it means. Well, I think to a certain extent there was a was a kind of retroactive nostalgia. I mean, I didn't grow up with it, mm-hmm. and I I really tried to steer clear of it, especially with my you know my parents' obsessions and um, you know hair tearing and all of that. So, but um, but I did go to Cuba for the first time. Uh, you know, since I left as a kid when I was 25, and I went with my sister and then met that whole crazy clan there. And that made a huge impact. And oh, then I thought, oh, my God, I have just spent over 20 years without this wonderful grandmother. Well, how you did know? that feel? Oh, oh my gosh. Oh, That's a loss? or Oh, yeah. But I hadn't grown up with the loss. Right. But I, I felt it in a kind of avalanche style once I met her and spent a couple of weeks with her. And I thought, oh, she would have been great to mitigate all of my mother's excesses, you know, like to have a grandmother like her around. And I think about from your grandmother's perspective, to have your grandchild growing up away from you and yeah. then to have her return, it must have been incredible for her. Yeah, I, I can't. Yeah, I think of my own daughter. I can't right. imagine. Uh, I, 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 she's 25. There'll be, you know, she may never have children. It could be decades. But I said, you know, the first two years, I'm going to just move in. Me too. <laughs> and uh, and just don't, you know, you go on with your life. Don't worry. Uh-huh. And I, I won't even be checking my cell phone, I promise, two years. Uh, I'm same. I feel the same way. <clears throat> Off topic, but as parents, all of us have children who are either in their teens or 20s. Yeah. Do you feel yourself edging toward that? Like, yeah, that'd be kind of cool having grandkids. Yeah, I'm I there already. I'm saying that. I know, I me too. And my yeah. son's 20, and I miss so much him being little. Right. Same. That I'm like, yeah. Is he away at school? He's or? away. He's in Pennsylvania. Right. So, yeah. Okay, so you're 25. You go to Cuba. And are you a journalist? No, I went. Yeah, I was a journalist at the time, but I yeah. didn't go as a journalist. No, no, yeah, but that's what. So you're a journalist, and is this the moment where you go, okay, I want to tell stories that come out of a different place than the kind of stories I've been telling, or what is the moment that makes you decide I'm going to write a novel and it's going to be fantastic and take over the world? <laughs> <laughs> and be that in was print, the plan. And all be in along, print right? for 25 years. <laughs> well. Um, like the retroactive nostalgia, <laughs> it looks organized, you know, um, from a certain point of view. But no, it was a completely haphazard thing. That uh, it just like in, in dribs and drabs it started, or well, it, you no, know you were I mean the novel? idea started not really, really started when I visited my grandmother, but afterwards when I was was back in journalism and and just um, at one point I uh, was the Miami bureau chief for Time Magazine and what of yeah. <laughs> As one does. <laughs> and, um, That's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> good job to be saying I'm yeah, going to do something else. Yeah, 87, 88. <clears throat> yeah. I was there. And um, and one of the reasons I took that job was because it was a, a kind of foreign correspondent, domestic correspondent, yeah. dual thing. And mm-hmm. I had the Caribbean, including Cuba and Florida. Well, I pretty much ignored Florida entirely. I <laughs> had <laughs> <laughs> no interest in Florida. Florida. <clears throat> Something's happening in Florida. Oh, well. And um, but I frustratingly because that's why I took the job I could not get to Cuba as a journalist I could right, go right. individually you know with all you know if I was willing to swim through all the bureaucracy but to go as a journalist uh-uh, right. they didn't want a Cuban American um, right 
down there. They they thought we were, especially when I left, even then, though I was two. Yeah. yeah, we were all tainted by the politics and intransigences of intransigences yep. of of our parents and you know grandparents who left. So yeah, so there I was uh, covering everything around it. You know, Haiti, the Dominican Republic, whatever, but not Cuba. I couldn't get to Cuba, and so it was at that point that I thought, you know what. I'm not going to get this in 150 lines anyway or do it in time speak. You know, this is way too complicated. Mm-hmm. And and it, I felt like everyone else was just engaged in the, the decades-long shouting match. And mm-hmm. I wasn't interested in that. Well, I, I'm squeaking now from lack of sleep. <laughs> it's very, it's do very I feel like Minnie Mouse? I, that. Like I thought that, that sort of reference. I thought the lozenge would kind of lubricate <laughs> the vocal cords yeah. a little bit. I got a couple okay. left. Okay, great. Um, what then made you decide, this is a multi-part question, you wanted to tell the story, what made you decide you're better suited to tell it as fiction than non-fiction, and along with that, you have to quit a series of pretty good jobs in order to dive into that? Yeah, eventually. I took uh, leaves of absences first, and then they got a little tired you of hedged, leaves right. of absences. And then and then I thought, okay, I'm just going to need to finish this book. And um, just took a leap, really. And, Amazing. And so I, I just, it was just one of the, I just got very lucky. I think I'd also hit a sort of zeitgeist at that point. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the wall had come down. Mm. The this is 1991, this is, 92. Yeah, when I'm writing it, 99, I'm think, finishing it like about 1991. The book came out in 92. And so the wall came down. All of the remittances of the Soviet Union was providing to Cuba dried up overnight. This, uh, what they euphemistically call the special period began in Cuba, a, a, a time of terrible privation and kind of reassessment politically and otherwise. And so I think it just weirdly hit, uh, you know, mm-hmm. so because there's so many great books. It's also a well, great book. A lot you know, of but there are a lot of great timing books. related. Yeah, yeah, it's weird. And there's it, not, nothing, you it's, know, it's, anyone could have timed. It was just one of those things, a like con- convergence. Mm-hmm. Of but what's that conversation like at home? Uh, when, at home. When you say, well, everyone. I don't know what your family situation was at the time, but you say, all right, I'm going to quit the job now. Even to your parents. Hey, you know that awesome job as Time Bureau Chief? Yeah, I'm, I'm out. Write, I'm going to write a novel. Well, as my mother said at the time, it's nice to have a hobby. <laughs> <laughs> True. Oh, yeah. But why, yeah. why are you going to quit? No. Boy, she doesn't have that squeak, okay? <laughs> She's much tougher than what I'm sounding like right now. Would you like another one? Yeah, sure. Okay. Sure. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be completely uh, high everyone, from these things. Everyone uh, heard they, that. They don't have that impact, do they? I don't know. I, maybe. I'm a wimp. Hmm. Um, yeah, so no, but I didn't have a child <clears throat> then yet, and and so I was I was just flying. take the leap. Yeah, but I'd already done that a couple of times, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, because you originally trained. What was it? You wanted to be something else. You were working in marketing. Well, I did a, oh God, that job trails me everywhere. It lasted only six weeks. Oh really? <laughs> but it was memorable. <laughs> <laughs> I was marketing Pampers Diapers in Frankfurt, Germany for oh, Procter & Gamble. That's why I followed you because it has so many awesome I know. That's just crazy. To it. It just so the word hot. Pampers and Frankfurt together. Yeah, I, Pampers yeah. and Frankfurt. And I, um, it was one of those international business jobs um, that I Got, but they don't want really. So, you know? is that in any way the birthplace of your most recent novel? Mm, no, not well. Just well. Called here in Berlin. Called here in Berlin. Um, I 
hadn't actually been back um, to Germany since then. Oh believe my it or gosh! Not. Wow. But at the time, my German was serviceable, you know, enough to you know, push bampers, you know, on unwitting. <laughs> that's not. That's not not <laughs> unwitting citizens. <laughs> you know, check for shelf space. No, needs to be. But anyway, but um. And at that point, by that point, I had spent three summers in Germany studying German, living with families, that kind of thing. But I hadn't gone back. What what got me going again, essentially, was um, wanting to look at Cuba's globalism. Um, mm, interesting. You know, um, I had studied political science and history and economics, and Cuba was everywhere in the 70s when I was going to college. They were in Angola. They were you know, in Somalia. They were supporting the North Vietnamese. They were um, involved with Allende's regime, movements in Central America. They, they had a real policy of exporting the revolution. And so... Uh, and also a lot of their citizens, including someone like my uncle, went to study in Moscow, you know, or Prague, right. you know. So there was this sort of grand uh, kind of cultural upheaval and collision and things because of its you know, very international stance. And so I thought, how, interest, how interesting would it be? My original idea was to do this triptych of... Cuba in Berlin, for example, you know, Cuba and Vietnam, Cuba and Chile, you know, and just sort of find the stories, the sort of through the history, the opportunities, the little air vents, you know, the possibilities for mm-hmm. uh, individual stories, you know, and the fallout from these um, from these adventures, from Cuba's adventures around the world. And so I thought, OK, Berlin will be my first place. Mm. And, and it became the whole novel. Yeah. First of all, I didn't find any evidence of anything. Oh, rats. <laughs> I was like, damn. You know, like I, I rented this apartment for four months. What am I going to do? So I'm like wandering no around totally way. lost. Yes. Yes. And a friend of mine, I said, oh, no, you know, um, you can find, you know, people bought out, uh, you know, German indu- industrialists, you know, bought Cuban cars in the 90s because of, you know, I was kept hearing stories. But when I got there, I found nothing. Really? Okay? Yeah, I found a few Cubans at a music festival. That's it. You know, <laughs> with their bongos. Okay? Uh, and that wasn't enough to base an entire I, novel I, I on. I felt like, you know, this is not what I was expecting here. And so for the first couple of weeks, and I, and I play with that in the book, you know, there's a visitor to... There's a visitor who wends her way around Berlin and getting to know the place, harvesting stories and whatever. And so she's a little bit of an alter ego for me. But so initially I was just lost. My German was creaky, horrible, you know, and I was and I and I just was tempted to just turn around and go yeah. somewhere else. But then, you know, I, I started getting seduced by Berlin itself mm-hmm. and its histories and its unlikely denizens and felt like, oh, my God, the city itself, it would be endless, endless. Um, oh, it's so huge. It, it was unbelievable. Yeah. And so I ended up between one thing and another. um I use the word harvest, culling, whatever, over a hundred little stories, you know, and then winnowed them down to what it is now, which I don't know, 30-something. So, and, and as far as your process goes, historically, how open are you to ideas that take left turns like that? Um, that was a pretty big left turn. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I think... Um, you know, theoretically is one thing, and in actuality, I was in a utter panic. You know, 
But theoretically, I'd like to think that you remain as open as possible to the myriad possibilities for as long as possible so as not to choke off right. you know, the unexpected. And yet I can see that from the writer's perspective and how healthy that is and how great new things come of it. But what about your agent? What about your editor? Are they mm. like, wait a minute, you're writing about Germany? You told what? us something else. Yeah. Right. Right. Were they? And, and of speak, speaking of marketing, does it make marketing <laughs> a little harder? Well, I don't know. From the beginning, I kind of had a personal policy of not taking advances because, for me, it kind of clears the process. So I, I don't really have deadlines. Nobody's waiting for anything, and it's very liberating in mm. that sense. You know, I, I know other people who say that too. Yeah, I mean, I figure I could always do something else, you know, mm-hmm. teach yoga or whatever. <laughs> and yet, here you are. You yeah, I could do mumbo. Wrote a book yeah. that was a National Book Award finalist, first time out of the gate, and you've written how many since? I mean, I think you've written six adult six novels. Six adult novels. Uh, seven uh, here in Berlin is a seventh. Yeah. Seven. Wow, um, and young adults <clears throat> yeah. books. Mm-hmm. Um, so what keeps you going? Just the desire to tell stories? I mean, it's a lot to take on. Well, I, um, I am told uh, that I'm kind of a miserable to live with when I'm not writing. Mm. Is that, does that happen to you guys? Yeah. yeah. For me, for sure. So I don't know. I could actually, go either way. Cause, <laughs> and that's an interesting point because do you find when you are writing you get a little obsessive? Well, that's true too. I can, especially toward the end. Mm. Um, but, not, you have all these like fake people in your head? Oh yeah, that you think of as real. Yes, and it's it's my most interesting life. Right, <laughs> the for sure. Rest of it is just like flagging, you know, and disappointments. But yeah, there's always <laughs> hope in fiction. There's always hope you know, around the corner. It's like a dream life. Yeah, it really is. I don't know what I'd do without it, really. And uh, and I actually enjoy it. And I think now having been through it a few times i just i think i'm more trusting of the process even in berlin when i was panicked for about two weeks going wtf uh, yeah <laughs> just like that that's not this podcast <laughs> <laughs> too bad actually. yeah really i'll take his listeners <laughs> um you know there was still antenna up for well what else yeah. what else you know even as a journalist, you don't always get to the person you want to get to, or you don't get the, you know, you have to sort of see what comes your way as well mm-hmm. without too too many preconceived notions, I think. So that's the writing side. What about the promotion side? I last week went and saw uh, Gail Tsukiyama talk, Ooh. who the Samurai's the Samurai's Daughter was a huge book, and she's written, I think, seven, eight, nine, something like that, novels. And she said she's taking a break, not because she's tired of writing novels, which she loves, but she's tired of promoting. Oh, Can yeah. you speak a little bit about that? So tedious. At yeah. Times. Although I, don't, I like, you know, at this point, I will just go to places where I have friends. <laughs> it's like I'm That's going to Miami nice. tomorrow, and... Um, Oh, so someone's going to throw a party, and you know, yeah. it's very fun. So my, make my, it fun. book festival, I get to see everybody, or um, so it's it's kind of more like that, or New York, or sometimes LA, where I lived a long time, or here. But um, but I think also the days of those, you know, fourteen city book tours, no one does those anymore. They they just no one don't. pays for them. Yeah, they don't do them for them they're anymore. They don't do anymore. them. I mean, very few people have that kind of exposure or that kind of well, let, let's rabid, back, rabid fan base. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's back up a little bit. Let's talk about um, after your first book came out and how the response may have jolted your career path a little bit and changed expectations of your next book. So what was that like when it first, what were the expectations when you published that? 
Well, it's pretty much zero. Um, yeah. You know, and first time novelist. Yeah, first time novelist, and a, and a kind of a big book. I mean, complicated mm-hmm. for the mainstream, maybe. Yeah, and it wasn't. Ooh, squeak. And it wasn't, um, <laughs> like also, I'm talking, but also listening to to my um, adolescent boys breakage. Yes, yeah, so no, no breakage. Noting here. for listeners, this is not Christina's normal voice. No, please, no. Um, and um, so what happened? So, 92, the thing is, uh, it's hard to remember it all because my daughter was also born that same year. Oh, so my I was, gosh. A little distracted, um, and and so I, it wasn't until the second book came out five years later that I kind of surfaced like one of those little groundhogs on February second. Go what what the, what the hell happened here? You know, yeah, you know, and and a lot had happened in those few years too, and including a, a novel that was. Um, Kind of dead in the water, um, and uh, oh, really? Yeah, and then just all that early baby. I don't have to tell you guys, you know, yeah, all that oh my early God. childhood. I don't know how you did it. I'm blown now, away. Like, you know, we had um, Kate, Caitlin Solomini was in here a few weeks ago talking about taking her toddler, two, yeah, two toddler, yeah, on tour with her, mm. and she's been all over the world. Mm-hmm. She has a lot. Of, she spent a lot of time in China, Singapore, places like that, and so she's been everywhere. Wow. And that's exhausting. <clears throat> but you were so you were so deep into everything, though. That did the did the weight of expectation for your second novel sort of elude you, or was there some pressure? No, I, I no, I definitely felt pressure and um, kind of pressure all around. And I also um, I, I didn't have very much fun trying to write that second one. You I know, I spent imagine. two years doing it and thinking, oh, I'm going to be really organized this time and do an outline as opposed to, you know, kind of backing my way into Dreaming mm-hmm. in Cuban with little snippets and poetry and whatever. And um, and it just didn't work. It was, I just had to admit that this was dead. And then, and it wow. Could, it so that's what you dead. mean by dead in the water. You had to start over. I, I, I just set it aside and yeah. I started over. And, what, uh, what is the psychic weight of that? A first time novelist was, has a really successful novel. Then you got to admit the second one's not working. How hard is it to get to that point? Oh, it was as depressed as I've ever been. I, can I can't imagine. Yeah. yeah. It was about as depressed as I've ever been. And, 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 um, the thing that finally got me going again, and uh, I have to give credit to my agent, uh, Ellen Levine. Hi, Ellen. Is because she basically said, you know what? Just write some nonfiction. Do something different. Don't put this pressure on yourself. And and I, um, oh, yeah. Then she, she sent me this little assignment where I had to write. And the book is still around. I mean, it's kind of out of print, but you can find copies of it about the cars of Cuba, all the old um the 1950s American cars? Yeah, 40s and 50s American cars. It's a little photography book, and I wrote an essay for it. And I had so much fun doing it and finding out about the engines and the, you know, the, the, the Russian Ladas that are cam- cannibalized and, you know, the big clips, whatever it is that they're, you know, <laughs> these, keep these things running. I had so engaged in it. Almost my old repertorial self kind of kicked in. Mm-hmm. I lost that acute, at least temporarily, that acute self-consciousness That's- of... Vital, I would think. Yeah, because I was doing something that was familiar. You know, I was researching and reporting it. I've read that book. You have? Are you kidding me? I'm a car guy, yeah. Oh, that's crazy. Pictures were really beautiful, too. I know, I know. And so that's what got me back. You know, I I said to myself, okay, I'm going to just do, I forget what it was, 500 words a day or whatever. And I did it. And by the end of that, I I had somehow shed that, that 
dark, you know, that dark cloak. Well, and I was <laughs> well gonna, you knew you could do it. I was going to ask if you were still doing freelance reporting at the time, besides that. Not so much. Not really. You know? um, and um, so I think that, that was it. It was just a period. And then I just, I, I had to figure out a way to just keep this joyful. Otherwise, I wasn't going to last. <clears throat> and how hard, how hard was it to keep that from bleeding into the rest of your life? You had a tiny baby at the time. Yeah, I had a tiny baby. And I, well, I was always also going through divorce and whatever. Oh my so gosh. it was just the perfect storm of just That is Christina hormones. Garcia, the dark yeah, years. <laughs> everything. The dark years is right. Yeah. And I had this dead whale of a novel. And oh. I was like, oh my God. You but know. but everything's I, material. Then she went to kindergarten and then... <laughs> you popped up. Yes, and the oxygen began to flow again. And um, I don't mean to sound so melodramatic. My daughter would like, oh, please, you know. I don't know. I know. Over it, Mom. I, I really, I didn't write <laughs> almost at all for six years when my kids were little. I yeah, just could not hard. hold the continuous dream. Isn't that what you just said something about that? Yeah. Well, I wish I had. That's oh, great. Yeah. I could not hold it in my head. I could hardly stay awake. Yes. So I'm amazed. No, no, it's crazy. I mean, I did, I did, uh, she sort of became part of, I mean, she traveled with me too. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. I remember going with her to Vietnam for five weeks at one point with a four-year-old. We had a great time. Did she impact <clears throat> your writing interest, what you write about? Did she bleed into that? Some in that, in that, um, she's one of the, She's very multiply hyphenated. She's got a <laughs> Japanese grandmother, and um, uh, and she, with whom she's very close. And and her husband, who's died, who's much older, was um, one of these old Jewish New Yorkers, you know, who a Depression era kid who ended up dying in his nineties. I got a little bit of, I know a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> a little bit of experience with that. Right, right, and. Uh, and then, you know, then on my side, so, so yeah, I became, you know, the, the hyphens mm-hmm. multiplied mm-hmm. in that way, you know, so. Um, but you grew up in Queens in a Jewish neighborhood, right? Or Irish? And Irish and Italian. Yeah, oh, yeah. pretty much. That's what was in New York. Pretty much everyone and, in this and room. Exactly. Italian. Italian. And an occasional Puerto Rican. We're like, hi, goodbye. What are you doing here? What do you do, Um But yeah, but so I was very curious about that and that got. Um, me interested in part in the the Chinese presence, the Asian presence mm-hmm. in Cuba. That was my third book, mm-hmm. Monkey Hunting, and and uh, I think in Lady Matador, there's a Japanese Mexican bullfighter. You know, I started doing kind of combo platter identities, <laughs> and that was definitely with her because. She actually looks. I mean, I should go shoot a picture of her. Um, she just sent me something. She, she's in publishing, believe it or not. And oh. she was at the National Book Awards. Like, oh, two nights she ago. was. We NBA. were just talking about it. And it's misleading hashtag. It's, yeah. it's NB Awards. <laughs> I'm thinking it was about basketball. I know. Send it to everyone. <laughs> Twitter. Right, right. <laughs> and let's, let's hear about the National Book Awards. Inside Scoop. Did she enjoy it? Oh, I haven't any? talked to her yet. Okay. We, we, because I, I was. Um, All right. Uh, we, she called me when I was at this concert last night, so I'm going to talk to her probably later today and get <coughs> so fun. And let's, full scoop. And just to pile the pile more pressure on uh, dark years, Christina. <laughs> well, we'll call the dark years. Let's yeah. hear what it's like to be a National Book Award finalist. Oh, right. Oh, well, uh, I was a National Book Award finalist with a month old daughter. So <laughs> did you go? So you don't know. I did go. It's all a blur, you know. Oh. That and uh, and then my mother said, "Oh no, you have to have your hair done because you know I don't, I hadn't looked." 
to the mirror and whatever. And so she sent me to, (laughs) my worst memory was my mother sent me to this uh, crazy Russian hairdresser and I ended up looking like some kind of Sputnik, you know, I don't know, like, (laughs) I look like I could fly. It was so hideous. I'm like, I'm not going. That's what I remember, the hair, the hair fight, the hair fight. I don't remember anything about the ceremony. I don't remember anything. You know, I have to say... Having been a member of the San Francisco Writers Grotto for almost three years now, yeah. one of the most eye-opening things to me, there's a lot of women writers here, and that people care what they look like when they do readings. In the world of guy writers, yeah. I almost feel like it's a competition to look less put together. Right, when maybe. Just like, yeah, man, show up know. in a hooded sweatshirt or something. Or I know, but do, I mean, regardless, and I don't know, maybe this is with my Latino male writer friends, but they're babe magnets regardless. They don't care. You know? <laughs> uh, exactly, they don't care, yeah, but yeah. God forbid, you know, like you show up at something. It had never occurred right to me. Right out of dance class. Like if yeah. I showed up at a reading like this, <laughs> everyone would be talking. Okay? I was going to say, even if you did show up in a hoodie, it would take you, I mean, it would take me personally like a long time to figure out that I was going to wear the hoodie and the how to. hoodie. Yeah. And like the right, you know, combat boots. Like, how am I going to pull off the hoodie? You know, it's not just I'm wearing a hoodie, so I show up. I am personally more like that than most of my male brethren. But it still surprised me the first time I heard a bunch of you talking about what you we're going to wear because well, we had advice reading. for each other you know yeah. Yeah. I'm like one of the first things I learned was don't wear a dress because you don't know if you're going to be on a stage oh, one of those stools mm. and too. a stool That's a exactly yeah. I'm right. like okay and so you have to climb up there and get good down oh, right and I mean, there's all these like caught. all these little things but I have to say I did see quite a few tweets before the National Book Awards of dudes heading out looking pretty sharp mm. looking sharp oh yeah like super sharp <clears throat> So maybe not all. Maybe well, not good. all. good. So it's a little yeah. more egalitarian. Yeah, I think so. At least for the, you know, big awards, not <laughs> just you your average reading. To the If you make it to the NBA, you know, you put on a coat. Okay. Yeah. Right. So there you go. But it is kind of cool that, um, you know, she was there and you were there when she was yes. a month old. You know, There's something I, really sweet I, I texted her just this little nostalgic moment and I got nothing in response. Oh. Like, apparently it wasn't. You know, no, no. Yeah. But you know what? I think that's for us to yeah. savor and for yeah. them to roll their eyes a little bit. And that's just that's just the that's just, that's just the nature of the you know, Completely. The here. That's yeah. completely Basically, it. going to the National Book Awards one month after oh, having it. Oh, God. I can't even imagine that is my biggest nightmare. And you're like... Yeah, yes. You can't whisper something on a podcast. We're going to hear it. I just, it makes me feel so, I couldn't even leave the house. I felt so overwhelmed. leave the house. Yeah, exactly, yeah. But here you are. No, but my hair left the house. The rest yeah, of without you. Yeah. <laughs> arrived on its own, yeah. <laughs> it was some, I don't know, it was transportation. locomotion. Yeah. I don't know, but it, it, it did. It locomoted yeah, its way to the NBA. <laughs> did the fact that you had been a finalist add to the pressure for the second book? I guess what I'm getting at is the problems with the second book, were those born at all in just the expectations for the second book? I think so. I think so. Um, but a lot of that pressure was just... Put on my. I, I put that on myself. You know, mm-hmm. I did. How could I you did not. I mean, right, I, I, right. I, I've had no success like that, and I feel the stress of the second book yeah, that way. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I, th- I think so. If you're, I, I, I have to be. I don't think I got it externally, really, or you know, I might have imagined it in my more paranoid <laughs> moments. But really, it was just on me. It was like, I. How do I? And then there's always that. That feeling that you he- or what you hear that everyone just let 
tells the, the one story they have in the first book, and then oh, they right. just keep re-embroidering it and telling it. And I yeah. thought, okay, maybe that was it. Right. You know, a vast majority of people don't go on to write a second novel. Is that true? Yeah, it's something like 90% of novel uh, novelists who do I not go no on idea. to write a second book. And somehow that stuck in my head. Um, wow, because I can think of novels that were... it's such a pleasant experience. I know, you know, I know. Why, would you not, why would you want to keep doing it? <laughs> that makes sense to me because of how many novels, first novels, are personal. Yes. And like you said, you have one story to tell. And once that story is told, what are you going to do? Exactly. But everyone's right. involved. You need to a... pull it up. You've had like 30-something years, at least in yeah. my case, yeah. to have that story. And then now what? Now, now what? What happened to me last week? That's not worth a novel. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You always hear you hear about, about huge people like um, To Kill a Mockingbird, but there's also books. I remember Memoirs of a Geisha. That was such a big book. Mm. Did he write another novel? I've never really. He did write an, he did. another one, but um, I, sometimes, sometimes I think that those that early that big early work will overshadow everything. I else guess that's also true. Yeah. yeah. Well, now that you bring it up, yeah. how has your experience been writing six novels since? Um. Well, uh, I feel like I keep I, I'm more comfortable in the process, mm-hmm. and I I get to explore all these different kinds of obsessions <clears throat> and historical things. Um, but I also think over time um, that that early audience that reacted to that specific tale. Mm-hmm. Uh, or a, a large portion of them want that same tale or version of that tale say again that. Sort of again. Fighting yes. the ghosts of dreaming of Cuba. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. You know, and um, and even now I'm actually doing. A, it was. It's interesting because it it it's been 25 years. It came out in '92, and I'm now doing a theatrical adaptation of it. And I had to get oh, reacquainted wow. with the damn thing, you know, because <laughs> it was like, who, what, what's happening here? And so, but it's. I probably needed that quarter century to be able to eviscerate and mm, reassemble sure, yeah. into something theatrical. And um, that in part is what I was doing in Portland because um, it's going to be theater with music. And do you know the group Ebay? Mm-hmm. I-B-E-Y-I. I highly recommend them. They're uh, twin um, French-Cuban sisters. One is a percussionist. The other is a keyboardist. They're stunning and wildly talented and we're hoping to um get them to the music yes to either license existing music or collaborate on some original songs and so uh and they oh were gosh, they so had a fantastic. concert in portland they're going to be here saturday night actually in san francisco at the fillmore so we you know went out to talk and hang out go see the concert whatever it was so much fun um it really has gotten me out of my cave i'm no longer a cave dweller. i mean that's very fun for writers who you're you know, always kind of alone in your room to go yeah. out and be in the world and interact with other artists yeah. and collaborate. That must be really thrilling. The other side of it, though, is that to have your ideas pushed back on or curtailed. Well, that's why I think the 25 years, maybe there should be a minimum time of 25 that's years. That's reasonable. <laughs> 25. Before you try and do something else. Yeah, and I'm working with a young director who literally wasn't born when the book came out. He's 24 years old. Oh, my gosh. He's a He's brilliant. You know, his name is... Um, um, Come on. <laughs> his name is Adrian Alea, A-L-E-A, and... Uh, and he, he's already worked with the public and done all kinds of things. He's done. He, he's he's brilliant. And so basically at this point, if he says to me, 
Mm-hmm. Um, something like, you know, Celia, you know, who's mm-hmm. the matriarch of the clan. Why don't we, why, why doesn't she just jump off a cliff? I was like, you know, I'll try it. Sounds like yeah, a good idea. Yeah, yeah let's try it. Because you know, I just trust That's him. That's a this great way to be. Yeah, that is. Yeah, because at this point, I, I mean, I, I read, the, I already wrote that story. What else can happen here? How does the music illuminate and expand its possibilities? So How I'm exciting. At a, in a completely different uh, Did place. he come to you? Yeah, he did. And it's so funny because he came at a really good time because I had just been, uh, it's been a little over a year that I've, I've been working on plays and adapted King of Cuba, my sixth novel, and it's mm-hmm. going actually going to be produced at, in Berkeley at Central Works Theater. How do you know how to adapt something? Mm. You know, it was, it was a, a steep but fascinating learning curve for me, you know, and I was <clears> in a <throat> workshop with... Um, Everyone else was a playwright except for me, and so I learned a tremendous amount from the feedback I got and and the guy who who's the director of Central Works who who um, kind of brokered the workshop. And how how mind blowingly different is it? Utterly different to see actual people saying oh, that was you, the thing. You know, as personifications of your characters, they've come to life. It's so electrifying. I can't tell you. The first time, like the second day I was in workshop and some little stupid two-page thing I read was performed just kind of around the table. I felt like I'd been like blown back against the wall. What? (laughs) Yeah. Because the only time that it happened is like if I do a reading out loud and then I do the voices, but to have those words in someone else's um, uh, mouth and one of them actually was an actor, I thought, oh my God, this is... This is like crap. That's why I can't I imagine. imagine. You know, oh, I was completely totally. addictive. And then when I did a stage reading of King of Cuba, I had, um, she's kind of a, a national, uh, but also much beloved, uh, Marga Gomez, who's a solo performer. Oh, yeah. Cuban, Puerto Rican solo performer. Check me out. And comedian. It's because she's a comedian. Yeah, she's fabulous. She she played, I, uh, call, I didn't know her, um, she played Fidel Castro. She played a Comandante. She performed that crazy masculinity uh, in in an Adidas sweatsuit, <laughs> which you know is actually perfect in his later in years. Yeah, you know that was his yeah, sartorial was his splendor. That's how he went. <laughs> that's how he went out um, in that Adidas suit, and and so. It was so wild, and you know, and the whole cat. And then she was the the one. Prof- her and um, and and Castro's nemesis, you know, one of the octogenarian Cuban exos. They were both professionals. Everyone else were just my friends, you know, Cuban friends and whatever. Anyone who could do a Cuban accent, and it was just packed and wild. And Marga brought down the house. It was just like people were on their chairs screaming, you know, at the end of this thing. And I thought, how can I ever go back to my room? Know. You know, like, no, you know. Uh, yeah. I'm like overstimulated. You know, this is now, it would be very hard to s- sit still long enough. That's kind of what Sara said. I've only, uh, this sounds really dumb and little, but once when I was teaching high school, mm-hmm. I had to write the Christmas play for the faculty party. Oh, really? It sounds That's, like nothing. How, how were you, you know, did someone know. tap you on the shoulder? Well, they, knew I, was a, they knew I was a writer. Okay, yeah. And I got to say, it was the most intoxicating ah. thing, just hearing people say stuff you wrote. It yeah. is like crack. Uh, yeah. That's it's, crazy. I guess maybe the tiniest bit like that is uh, when you hear your audiobook. It's a little weird. Uh, yeah. Because, of course, they're not, like, it's not what you, 
just the inflections different. All the yeah, different. Yeah. It's not how you heard it in your head, right? And, yeah. and and sometimes it's better or more interesting, and sometimes mm-hmm. it's not. Sometimes it's a bummer, but uh, it's a trip. I mean, it's hard to, to turn away. I yeah, I want to hear the whole thing, kind of thing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <clears throat> but on stage, that sounds very cool. Yeah, that would be pretty Especially cool. With music. Yeah. For, for the King of Cuba, we had a fantastic bongocero. Um, and he also, actually, he's an amazing percussionist. So there were congas. It was it was um, live percussion for that. You know, so when there was cool. a gunshot, bagada, you know, like. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're going to love slaps. it. So if it, when, it, when it happens, is it premiering in Portland? Where, where uh, is it happening? No, well, the King of Cuba is premiering next summer at Central Works Theater in Berkeley. And then. Okay. The um, Dreaming Cuban is right now in development. Uh, I, I finished the first act and, um, you know, about to launch to the second. And there's interest from the public theater already for this. Oh, so how exciting. I think we're going to partner up. Um, and they said it's okay to say that. Oh, that's exciting. Uh, and I would ask if this represented a, a, a focus shift for you. but I think it's another shift. What the hell? Well, yeah, looking no, at your CV, though, you've had a ton of focus shifts. You've done yeah. all kinds of stuff. You've, you've taught, restless. you've written novels, yeah. children's stuff, journalists, all over the place. I guess that's a long way of saying, you know, what's next? Well, um, I turned 60 in July. That's a big one. It's a big one, yeah. So, um, I don't know. I think I like the theater. I think mm-hmm. I could be doing this for a few years. Um, but I do have a novel that's kind of in the back of my mind that I'm think- thinking about that I've researched a little bit already. And But I don't quite want to, you know, disappear for the next three or four years. Once, once you get out of that cave, you don't want to go back. Right. <laughs> right. So I'm in that cave now for... Uh, like 25 year. years, But actually. I did think when you were talking about the concept for here in Berlin that you could possibly have several novels built off of that original concept. Yeah, I, uh, the novel I have in the world. Yeah, I could actually, yeah. But the, the, but the novel I'm thinking about is, um, it just stems from something that actually happened in Berlin, but would be taking place in Stockholm in 1944. So, Good heavens. So, you really are all over. Yeah, you are. <laughs> now you have to go to Stockholm. Can I recommend going in the summer? Yes, I've been already doing a little research. Oh, what? and yeah. in the winter? Because I was no, there two winters no, ago. Spring, and it was, it was lovely. Yeah, yeah, spring would be good. Var- variable, but it's a beautiful place. Oh, it's so strong. beautiful. Yeah, <laughs> it's absolutely. expensive. But yeah. And this may be an odd question for you because you do write internationally. When you conceive of a plot for a book and you think, oh, I'm going to have to go to Stockholm for four months. Does that figure into whether or not you'll pursue it? Um, well, I don't know. I mean, I can't do what I did uh, with uh, with Berlin for everything, I don't think. But um, but I could certainly parachute in enough and read enough and talk mm-hmm. to people, you know, for research purposes. Um, um, I do think that if you're going to, you know, take on a whole other world that you got to get all the details right. Yeah, that's that journalist. Yeah, that's you got to get the details background. right. Because uh-huh. we've had that discussion here a lot about setting how accurate it needs to be. And, and the example I kept using was I was working on a story that took place in a bar in Pacifica mm. that I had never been to. Mm. I had just seen the outside and I thought, mm-hmm. well, I can't write about that. 
and someone said, sure you can. Just make it up. Can't you just go to Pacifica? You can. I haven't gone there yet. But what if it's okay. what if it's not what I imagine? Then I'll have to move it somewhere else. But no, the no, point you have being, complete liberty. You know, yeah. to That's why reality fiction. at any point. That's why we're doing the fiction. Mm-hmm. But I still think there. If if you're going to, uh, at least for me, I feel that if I'm going to be say writing about Vietnam, nope. I have to get the cultural details right, no mm-hmm. matter how fantastical the plot or how surreal or whatever. Um, I remember I had a student who I had vet um, the sections of Vietnam for, uh, for, for accuracy for accuracy and and it was you know I, it was pretty good but you know what I was I was um, I had a salt shaker at one point on a table and she goes oh no 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 there would be no salt shaker on a table in Vietnam no such thing and she goes even if we did have salt it would be served in a little dish little dish yeah so down to that level of detail yeah so i i want to get those details right Um, and and as a journalist it must feel great when you do yeah it was very satisfying (laughs) but that's the pleasure of reading too when you read a novel and you're so in this other world and you feel completely held by the novelist's novelist's mastery of that world, that's such a great feeling as a reader. Right, because you can surrender, finally. Mm -hmm. If you're constantly on high alert, you know, with your hackles like, no, that's not right. Well, yeah, for for a Vietnamese reader, that would have taken them right out of the story. Salt shaker. Right? Come on. Right, it would have broken, what did you call it? The whatever dream? continuous dream. That's not my invention. We don't know who's John Gardner's. John John Gardner, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so <clears throat> absolutely. Um, I, I, you know, I, I feel that way. Uh, I, 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 I feel that way about, um, you know, people writing about Cuba and Cubans. I'm like the bigger party. Let's make a big bachanga, but you know, like get it, get it right. Right. Too. Right. I mean, that behooves you to get it right. Do you remember a book? I think it was in the 80s called Imagining Argentina. I do remember that, yeah. And it was written by a guy who I don't think he'd ever been to Argentina. Uh, I don't think he'd ever been to Argentina, and yet it was somehow persuasive. And, and, and that's it was what also people very said. poetic. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember reading and going, how do you do this? I know. I remember that, too. And I remember people saying, uh, who knew Argentina, it's compellingly like the place. Yeah. And I found that really amazing. It was Excuse astonishing. Me. What is this? Lawrence something. I forget his name, but it was a great book. Really good. It was really, really good. I wonder if he wrote another novel. That's he a did. Speci- that's a okay. special kind of challenge that not everyone's up to, but it might be the type of challenge that appeals specifically to some writers. You're like, mm-hmm. yeah, I can do this. Yeah, I think so. I think um, I actually met him once, so I, I, I remember asking him about this. And... Um, and I remember talking uh, specifically about his choice of narrator because the narrator was not caught up directly in the maelstrom of events. Right. He was slightly apart, and I think it was just that slight apartness that innate and in, in, in the formality of speech mm-hmm. and just that little bit of distance on the story that somehow gave it a sense of authenticity, mm-hmm. you know, repertorial authenticity, you know, in that Seabald kind of way, you know, like where he... Mm-hmm. And um, and so I think that's partly how he pulled it off. Yeah. I remember really liking that book. I've never reread it, but I, I wonder hmm. how it would be to read it now. I wonder how it would stand up. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so we're we're wrapping it up a little bit here, but you know what? I want to. You know, we don't often do this. Sometimes we do. Sometimes we don't. But since you are so accomplished, I'm curious about your writing process. Do you write every day? Do you write in bursts? How do you do it? Um, I used to have a very strict schedule when my daughter was growing up. Just basically, I wrote when she was in school. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I had those six hours and tried to make. The, I was way more disciplined when mm-hmm. I was 
when you had I, to be. I hear this from when people I had all to the time. Yeah. Right now, yeah. it's like wow, but free for all, um, and uh, and it's sort of. Um, once I get cranking on something, then I want to be inside it, mm-hmm. and I need to be inside it to keep um, keep expanding it, keep you know, kind of keep the interrogation, the inquiry going. But now that I'm sort of in between, I don't want to go back. You know, uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to go back right now. So you're not a same spot every day. Same no, time. no, and that's the thing. I, I starting with King of Cuba. So the last two books I wrote longhand, so liberating, Ooh, interesting, so liberating. Because well, for King of Cuba, uh, sometimes un, un, you know, illegible. illegible, right? But um, I had to slow down because for King of Cuba, I was writing about octogenarians, you know, and so I just couldn't speed write it. You know, mm-hmm. I had to like put skids on their slippers, you know, and on my on my writing. And so slowing it down that way helped me um, think more at their pace and how they move through the world and, and how so much of the technology has passed them by. And, and so I had to be inside that in a way. And then I loved it because I got to go everywhere with a notebook instead of lugging around a computer, or having mm. to find a plug, doing this. It was so great. And so I just kept doing that. And I, I wrote here in Berlin that way. Have uh, you been doing that when you write for theater? Um, I started doing it and then it was too frustrating. You know, now it's like straight to the computer. computer. I was on a plane all day yesterday and I wrote longhand and felt at the end that I had written very differently in a way that felt great. Yes. Yeah. And I thought, I wonder if I can make myself do this, mm. uh, even just to start this way. Or, But when I went to transcribe it, I had a really hard time reading my handwriting and then I was bummed. Uh, yeah, and it's a pain to do that, to yeah. transcribe. It really is. Yeah. but. But for me, the the opportunity costs of the you know the mm. initial liberty it's very and tactile. It, yeah, it's very tactile, and I think your brain, yes. yeah, your brain, that sort of you know hand eye brain yeah. coordination is something that I can't do it. You know, I, shifts, I, writing yeah. longhand makes my head hurt. It really does. Yeah. Your head already hurts. That's true, but it makes it hurt even more. He's <laughs> had a migraine for two weeks. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. In addition to, <laughs> uh, and we are out of time. Okay, this well, was such a pleasure. Really great. Uh, thank you so much for, for coming in. Christina, uh, give our listeners a little uh, clue as to how they can find you, your website, oh, uh, Twitter, sure, that yeah. sort of thing. Um, I'm, I'm pretty non-technological, but uh, I have a website, ChristinaGarciaNovelist.com, and I'm on Facebook, but I don't do anything else. Um Good yeah. for you. Yay. Smart. I know. So nice. So lucky. Uh, and here in Berlin is the new book available everywhere, I'm assuming. Pretty much, yeah. Great. BQ, mm-hmm. how about you? Uh, Larry, you can find me. On, I am on Twitter. I'm on Twitter too much. Me too. At B. Quintrest. Awesome. Also on Instagram. You can also follow us at the Grotto Pod mm-hmm. on Twitter. Twitter. I don't know what our email address is. GrottoPod at gmail.com. Oh, okay. You can find me at that Larry Rosen on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, my website, which is dedicated to my other podcast, is called isitgoodforthejews.com. But you can you can yell at you there anytime. Yes, okay. yes. You can yell at me. I'm always available to get yelled at. All right. Good. <laughs> uh, producers. You know who we're not yelling at is our producers, Laurie Ann right. Doyle, Lee Kravitz, and Beth Weingarner. And also we'd like to thank Sugartown for the great tunes. 
that about wraps it up, except for one little thing that's still left to say. Okay, I'd like to say to everyone out there, read, write, and just keep working. <laughs>